Hello and welcome back to the Echoes Big Interview with me, Neil Jones. I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Meller, for episode three. And thanks again for all the feedback that you've had from the first two with Jan Mulvey and Simon Mignolet. Um Make sure you subscribe as well at Audio Boom, www.audioboom.com forward slash Blood Red or forward slash Royal Blue, depends on your persuasion, red or blue. Um, I'm delighted to say today we've got someone who could fit into both categories, someone who's uh, had the, the honour of playing competitively for both, but I think he'd tell us, and I think everyone else would tell us, that he's more fondly remembered by the, the blue half, and he has more fond memories of the blue half than the red as well. I'm joined by Kevin Sheedy. Thanks very much for giving up your time this morning, Kevin. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, going all right? You were uh, under-18s coach at Everton where I finished farm today, and it's not been a bad start to the season for you guys? No, we're doing okay. Uh, we didn't start, we lost the first three games, we weren't as strong as what we could be, uh, so we got off to a bit of a slow start, but uh, the last ten games we've won six and drawn four, so we're, we're unbeaten. Um, the lads are really uh, you know, improving, which is what you want from, from young players, so um, we, we tested ourselves, we got beat by Man City 3-1 early on in the season, um, and we played them Saturday, we were 4-2 up with ten minutes to go, and they scored two late, late uh, equalisers, but uh, it just shows how far we've come in a short space of time, so I'm really pleased with the the effort the boys are putting in. And you're enjoying being on the pitch, uh, on the grass, as ever? Indeed, that's where I'm most comfortable. Um, I've been doing the, the under-18s 10 years now, so uh, it's, it's not a job, it's something I love doing. You come to the, the club you love, uh, so I don't see it as a job, it's just what I want to do. I always wondered what a coach, under-18 coach, saw as an achievement. You know, obviously, results are important, that winning mentality, but to you as a coach, developing these players, what's the most important thing? The most important thing is to get them professional careers, so I get just as much pleasure as someone making a debut for, for our first team as somebody making a debut championship team, first team, first division, uh, non-league. You know, you, they come in here, they give everything they've got, and at the end of it, you try to develop them into the best players they can be, and hopefully then they can go and get, uh, get a career, you know, if it's not here, somewhere else. I think we can touch more a little bit on the, on the youth side of things later on, but I wanted to go back to the start and, and where it all began for yourself. I think you were, you were born in Wales. What part of Wales and what was life like growing up for yourself? Uh, I was born in Bilth, Wales, um, and I moved to uh, a pub just outside Hereford when I was f f four years old. Um, I was sort of like a bit of a country bumpkin where I lived out in the <laughs> sticks. And uh, my practice, uh, I lived in a pub and uh, had big walls on the on the pub. There was a, a gents toilet that was like the size of a, of a goal. There was big walls. There was a one with a window which had practiced my free kicks. So really just spent the, the early part of my life just kicking the ball against the wall and controlling it. So uh, Smashing windows. I smashed it once. <laughs> once. So uh, I was uh, I was okay. So uh, Was it always football for you? Because I know Wales is a big rugby area, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, it was always football. Um, since I was, I say, since I could kick a ball, that's all I was, I was doing the round ball. Um, so I was self-taught at an early age, um, and then I used to start playing in fates in country fates, we six side tournaments. Uh, I started off in goal to get into a team, and then eventually I worked my way out. And um, you know, I had some great times. My dad used to drive. The, he had a big Corsa car, something like that, and he used to drive the seven of us around to all these fates. You know, we'd have uh, so great, great early, early memories. And then when I was about fourteen, I started started playing for Hereford Lads Club, uh, proper 11 side games, and we played in uh, we played teams from the Forest of Dean and all that, real tough teams, mm. and it was a good education where you booted them and they booted you, and it was yeah. real, uh, you know, proper football. Did you watch much football growing up as well? 
Yeah, I mean, Man United, uh, Bobby Charlton, George Best were my, my heroes growing up. Uh, the World Cup Brazil, uh, 1970, watching all that sort of thing. So I was always keen to, you know, watching all those. And uh, I was fortunate when I was 16, um, I played uh, against Fulham. George Best was playing for Fulham at the time. So it was really great to, yeah, yeah. to go on the same pitch. We got B5-1, but to play against one of your heroes was yeah. something I always remember. I, I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned all those great names for Manchester United, but one of the greatest names for Hereford was, was John Charles. What was it like being around Hereford at that time when somebody so so talented was about? It was sort of, you know, he was the iconic figure for, for Hereford, um, but my early memories was um, Hereford beating Newcastle in the in the FA Cup, Ronnie Radford scored the, yeah. the best. <laughs> Snorkel yeah. And it's, it's, it's just... It's just Fantastic! I, I missed the game that night. I was ill. Uh, I had the ticket to go to the game, and I couldn't oh. couldn't make it. But uh, it was just fantastic memories. Uh, Ricky George got the winning goal. No one remembers that. They remember Ronnie yeah. Radford's goal. Mm -hmm. um, but just uh, and a, a sort of I, uh, I was at school and um, I used to go in training with Hereford United. John Sillett was the manager. Um, we went Coventry, to win the yeah, FA the guy, Cup. Yeah. Uh, he was great for me. Uh, he saw my my early potential, and he said to me one day, he said. Uh, See if you ask your headmaster if you can come in training in the morning. So I wasn't going to take exams in those days. You know, you didn't okay. I didn't have to. I, I told the headmaster I was going to leave as soon as I could. Uh, would I be able to go in training? And he said, um, go in training every day with Hereford. Come back in the afternoon. You'd have to sign sign in. He said, but one thing. He said, if you ever get to a cup final, I'd expect two two compliments. <laughs> so uh, fast forward the button. Uh, the first Merseyside. Milk Cup final, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I sent him two tickets for that. It was a, a small price to pay, but uh, those early days as apprentice at Hereford, it was uh, fantastic. He used to do everything: clean, clean the boots, sweep the dressing rooms, uh, sweep the stands on a Monday after a home game. You know, Edgar Street, Edgar Street, paint, <laughs> yeah. paint the, yeah. the, in the summer, paint the paint the ground and all that, and just loved every minute of it. You just like love football. Um, so I had great memories and a manager who gave me my opportunity. What were the players back then? Did they have a, a future in the game like you did? Um, there was Dixie McNeil, who was a goal scorer. Uh, he was a, um, Tommy Hughes, a goalkeeper. Um, they were they were sort of aging players: John Layton, Billy Tucker, um, John Galley, Peter Spiring, um, Jimmy Lindsay. But they, they were like senior players, and they looked after me on the pitch. So when I was playing, mm -hmm. and someone was. They they'd sort yeah. them out sort of thing like they were the proper uh, <laughs> proper players. I say. Bodyguards, so, they body were. In fact, yeah. they were. They were my bodyguards. Is it true you used to train on a, a car park outside, sort of outside the training ground or the training facilities? So you like a shale car park? Yeah, that was the facilities that were there at the time. It was sort of the car park. Um, Tuesday night, Thursday night, and you just had it, just played. I mean, yeah. you just played, and that was it. And you, you whatever, you rip your legs and. On the <laughs> I was going to say, that, don't get fouled. But you just you just loved loved playing. Yeah, so you you come into the team at sixteen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what fourth division. Fourth that was third division. We won division. The, the, the third, we won the third division, and it was the last game of the season. And uh, John Silla gave my debut. Uh, Dixie McNeil needed to score a hat trick to uh, equal Ronnie Moore as the top goal scorer. <laughs> really? Um, and he got a hat trick on the night uh, against Preston. How many did you and, set uh, up? Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say the three of them. But, uh, no, it was just great running out. You know, was making a debut to. You know the stand, the, the ground that you'd swept and you'd weeded and everything yeah, like that. Yeah. It was a full house. What sort of crowd would that be? That was six, about six and a half thousand, right, okay. and that was it. That was Rams sort of thing, and it was just the atmosphere. You know, when you run out and you'll know, you know, when you run out at uh, Anfield, just the noise that gets you, and it's just uh, you, you want more of it. So yeah. it was just uh, it was a great introduction. Were you? Uh, you end up being the left side of the midfielder. Obviously, was that your position from the, the word go, or were you sort of 
did you find that later in your career? Yeah, I was more central. I, yeah. I, I played maybe against Hereford in, in, in the middle, uh, but eventually, obviously, being predominantly left-footed, I, I used yeah. my way out to the, the left-hand side. Where did that come from then, the left? Was that in the family, you know, it was a football family, or were you um, sort of a little bit of an anomaly? Not really. My dad played Irish. Uh, Gaelic and all that sort oh, of thing, yeah. but he came over to, to, to England when he was 16 sort of thing, so never really, so to say, football was all mm -hmm. that, I, that I knew to play. You, you said that you won the third division and you made your debut that at the end of that season, Yeah. and looking at the history books, Hereford's only season at the second tier was, was that season, did you play a big part of that? Yeah, I played about 20-25 games, uh, we were sort of punching above our weight, you know, the, the club had no resources. Um, couldn't we just went up with the team that won the third division championship? But obviously the the golf. But just uh, again, from my experience, playing against better players, learning mm -hmm. all the time, and you know we, we got beat most of the most of the games. We had a couple of good decent results, but ju just actually playing in that and, and standing up for yourself. And uh, do you feel that as a young player, you got to learn more about the game, make the mistakes, so that when you eventually did go to the top level, you you felt more ready for that? Indeed, yes. Yeah, it was a great learning curve. You know, even though you know. We were getting beat uh, in the second division. It was coming up against good players, uh, testing yourself, and uh, you know it was something to look back on. And it was a real uh, uh, education for me. So, 78, you were uh, Liverpool, obviously turn up, and you'd already been already been to see them that year. I think I near at Wembley against Bruges. Yeah, um, I was still ahead of United player, and a mate of mine rang me up and said you got two tickets for the European Cup final, Liverpool Bruges. Would I want to go? So I went along. Um, not a Liverpool supporter, just going to watch a, a European final and uh, oh. saw Kenny Douglas get the winning goal, saw the best midfield in Europe, Ray Kennedy, yeah. Graeme Souness, Terry McDermott, Jimmy Case mm. um, and went home, so, you know, uh, enjoyed, loved the atmosphere, loved the game, brilliant for Liverpool, obviously supporting them because British team yeah, yeah. and then two weeks later I get a phone call from a chairman, Peter Hill, um, he was up at Liverpool, they'd accepted a £100,000 bid and to travel up um, and in those days, no agents, no advisors. It was to me, mum and Good. dad. Um, <laughs> so I'd stop off at Marks and Spencer's to get my mum a new suit, sort of thing, to travel <laughs> up in. Um, and just went up, and just all the way up, I was just thinking, I don't want to sign for them because I'd seen the best midfield yeah. in Europe. I knew how different Ray Kennedy was a top player, yeah. uh, fantastic player, um, and didn't want to sign. So I went up, had the tour, had a picture with my dad with the European Cup. Um, uh, got into negotiations, but it was never about the money. The contract didn't matter. Who did you speak to? Was it Peter Robinson? Was Peter it? Robinson and Bob Paisley was the manager. Um, so our chairman, Peter Hill, sensed that I didn't really want to sign, so he came to me and said, listen, um, we need you to sign £100,000, otherwise Hedifield could go best sort of thing. Like, so he put yeah. a bit of a gun to my head. Uh, and they'd given me my first opportunity, so reluctantly I'd signed, I signed a four-year contract. Um, and as I say to them, my Liverpool mates, four years later, I'd, I'd made four, four, four appearances, but I signed the contract. Uh, Bob Paisley got up, shook my hand, and said, "Congratulations and good luck, Philip." <laughs> so I thing like, but again, um, looking back on it, it really um, training with great players every day. You what was that like? Because you've watched them in the, in the European Cup final and then yeah. you're training with them yeah. so soon after. Pass and move, pass and move. That's all you heard on the train ground. Ronnie Moran, uh, Roy, Roy Evans, pass and move. And it was, they, they, that was all it was. There was no coaching, back fours, midfield, strike. It was just yeah. pass and move and that was the Liverpool way. So you had four years of that so you, you can only but improve with that and playing against the best players every day. Um, so certainly uh, from a learning curve, uh, no matter how well I was going to do, I wasn't going to get in the team. I, I knew that in the end. So it really toughened me up mentally. Who settled? 
who did you settle in quickest with with some of those players in that Liverpool dressing room back then? Um, Alan Hansen was in the digs. I was in. It was in Elsie Road, about a hundred yards from from Anfield. Uh, Alan left, and then Ronnie Whelan. Um, he was in the nether digs and not really happy. And uh, I said, "Well, should I speak to my landlady because she's brilliant, sort of thing." Like so, anyway. So little did I know that I was helping him, and eventually yeah. uh, he was vying for the same position with me. But we're still still good mates. Um, and Ronnie came in. Um, Joey Jones was brilliant. Uh, I went first. Um, Shy but reserved, and I went from Hereford uh, to getting changed between Kenny Dalglish and Alan Hansen. So it was like <laughs> no, no choice. Into, uh, and you've got the dressing room then with Graham Sooners, yeah. uh, Tommy Smith. Uh, but Joey was the one who really took me under me under his wing, and he realised, you know, coming from a smaller club and, and what was acquired, and, all, and and he was brilliant sort of thing, and funniest, funny, one of the funniest players I've ever ever met in football. You know, a great lad. So. Um, it was looking back, as I say, it was it was it was a great learning curve for me. It helped me no end when you know when I went to, to Everton. Did they call you Philip or did they call you? How uh, it called me, uh, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> was that some reserve team there at Liverpool? Because you, you think yourself, Ronnie. I think uh, later on, Craig Johnson would have been playing. Bruce Grobelard even maybe playing for the yeah. reserves. He must have been winning uh, that central league. Brilliant. We went it four years on the trot. Steve Grizovich, um, Jeff Ainsworth, Colin Irwin, Alan Harper, Brian Kettle. Howard Gale, yeah. uh, Colin Russell, um, Mick Halsall, um, Rushy played up front. Um, you know, so it was yeah. it was it was a proper strong, team, strong <laughs> team. But in those days, it was like if you didn't play, in, if you went in the first team, you played three o'clock at, at Anfield. Yeah. If it was home game, you play three o'clock, and you'd be playing against the players that couldn't get in their team. So it was a real competitive um, league. You made you made your debut uh, February eighty one. It's Birmingham, two two draw. Yeah. Uh, and then only only four more appearances, I think, after that and a couple in the League Cup, a couple yeah. of goals. Did you did you ever feel like you were gonna you were gonna make that breakthrough or was it did you always feel it was just a little bit away away from you? I don't know, so, uh, the Birmingham game, I've hit the shot from twenty five yards cop end and it's hit the post and bar. And I look back and think if that actually yeah. nestled in, mm. would it you know, would it have yeah. made any difference? I don't know. But certainly um I, I did okay, but I think I had a had a back problem, and in those days they weren't great specialists sort of thing. They couldn't find out what it was, and I, I had it for about four or five months. And they thought I was weak mentally, uh, the coaching staff sort of thing, and uh, that that went against me. So when I when I did actually recover from it, um, they always had that doubt where I was I was weak mentally. So that was I think was a big part to do with me not uh, progressing. It's a very very Liverpool thing that from that that era, isn't it? That injured players were sort of. They weren't. They weren't given the treatment and the care and the the, the affection that you get now. They were frowned upon. Yeah. I mean, they used to leave you in the dress in the treatment room for an hour without even coming in to treat you. They they really did frown on on yeah. on that, and particularly if they couldn't, if they didn't think you were injured. So yeah. uh, again, that was a, a learning curve for me. So the end end of eighty one, eighty two. I think you'd play. You've been in the uh, the World Club Cup. You've been on the yeah, bench for that in Flamengo. Yeah. 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 So that, I mean, that, that's so you've done, you've had that, and then at the end of the season, you're your contract's up and you, yeah. you you get a phone call. Is it from a Daily Mail journalist? Yeah, Colin Wood. Uh, I was in Diggs, um, as I say, and I got a phone call on a Friday. I'm playing Preston away uh, for Liverpool Reserves, the last game of the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, it says Colin Wood from the uh, Daily Mail. He said, would you be interested in signing for, for Everton? I said, of course. He said, well, put the phone down and Howard Kendall will ring you. Um, <coughs> you obviously think it's a prank. It's not. Anyway, sure. the phone goes and sure enough, it's Howard. And uh, he said, I'm going to come and... Uh, come and watch you uh, in the last game of the season. And he said, there's one thing, he said, I've been told you don't always try. 
sort of thing yeah. like so he rattled uh, me a little okay. bit so I said Mr Kennel I assure you I always try sort of thing so anyway I played the game um, I must have tried uh, but a week later I got a phone call from Harry Cook to say would you would you come in to you know to sign for Everton did you tell any of your teammates at the time that you were being watched by Howard Kendall no no I didn't so I just kept that uh, kept that to myself um, and I knew my four years midweeks I used to go and watch Everton playing um, uh, get tickets in the in the top balcony. Okay. Uh, saw Sharpie make his debut. Okay. Kevin Ratcliffe, Inchy signed for seven hundred fifty thousand. So I saw the team that the Howard's putting together. So it was an easy decision when uh, when they came calling. So it was twenty years since someone had gone from Liverpool to Everton. John Morrissey, John Morrissey sixty-two. Yeah. So did that did that come into your thinking in any in any way, or was it just a case of I want to play and these want me to play? Well, I'd seen the atmosphere at Anfield. I'd seen the atmosphere at Goodison. I knew exactly what I was going into, but I knew I had to hit the ground running because if I wasn't good enough for Liverpool, why should I be good enough for, for Everton? Yeah. So I knew I'd so um, I worked as hard as I could pre-season. I hit the ground running. We got beat the first game two 0 against Watford. They just got promoted, oh, yeah. um, and they they were on fire that day. And then we from there settled in. I got my. Home debut. I, think. I got a goal against Tottenham, um, and I, I played well. So the, the crowd sort of had won them over quite early. You, you felt a part of it very early on, yeah. at Everton, as opposed to at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'd grown up a little bit. Four years. I'd grown up. It had toughened me up mentally. I was a better player. Um, Liverpool sort of they they were choosing where I went. And Blackpool came in for me. They were in the fourth division. I knew I was better than that. They sort of <laughs> let me, you know, put me in a room with uh, one of the. People representing Blackpool saying, "What you know? What can we offer you?" and all that. I said, "No, that's, I'm not interested." I said, mm. uh, um, "And Derby, they were in the first division. Then they came in for me in Liverpool. No, no chance. You're not going there." So they they were picking and choosing. So it was only when my contract uh, ran out that uh, I was able to go. Funny enough, I come across it the other day. I got uh, an offer of a, a new contract at Liverpool, sort of thing, you know. And the figures are like ridiculous, sort really? of thing, you know, compared. But um, no, it was just uh, it was. I, I went into the dressing dressing room and. Uh, Everton got changed next to Kevin Ratcliffe, and we became great mates, sort of thing. But it was just a not a different environment. I felt more comfortable in that, that at that time. Just to finish on the departure from Liverpool, was there a, a goodbye, a phone call, a, a letter, anything like that from anybody in particular? No, no that was it. You were gone, down, yeah. gone. Um, Kenny, to be fair, Kenny was good mate to me um, when I f- first signed. Uh, first three days, he said, "What are you doing tonight?" I said. Uh, no, nothing really. He said, "Come on, I'll t- you come out to mine and have a barbecue, stay overnight, sort of thing." Like so, he drove me over nice. over there, and I remember uh, sitting outside having a barbecue, and uh, Marina went upstairs with a bucket of water and diced Kenny from from upstairs, sort of thing. <laughs> like you know, but uh, no, he 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 was good to me as well, sort of thing. So I, it was one of those. That's football. You move on, and uh, you know, a new chapter opened. So, you, so you've gone to Everton. You 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 feeling part of you sort of getting yourself settled over there. You don't have to don't have to up, up roots either, which I'm guessing helps the settling yeah. process. How big a, an influence is Howard Kendall then in, in the uh, in making you feel a part of that at Everton? Um, obviously, absolutely devastated that he's, he's passed away. Yeah. Uh, he was the best manager I, I ever played for. Um, he had 100% confidence in me. Um, I had a fair share of injuries, uh, but he always played me when I was fit. Even when I wasn't playing well, he'd leave me on the pitch because he knew I could score a goal or create a goal. So he, he, you couldn't have had a better manager to, to give you confidence. And he was just a, a great man manager. He wasn't a ranter or a raver. Yeah. He just he, he knew football inside out. He'd have a quiet word with you when he needed to. He never said well done when you were doing well. He'd never say you weren't good when you weren't good. He, he just knew um, he knew how to handle me. He knew so, how to get the best out of me. Say, yeah. It was that confidence to 
to get more out of yourself, which he gave you. Yeah, because I wasn't frightened to make mistakes. You, you, you could try things, and if it didn't come off, he was 100% with me. Um, when we played Luton in the FA Cup semi-final, probably highlighted it. Um, I wasn't playing great. I was getting a little bit of jip off the supporters, um, but he kept me on the pitch and scored the free kick four minutes from time, and then we, we won two one extra time. So that that would sort of sum up our sort of relationship, where he'd leave players like Ken Richards and Alan Harper, who had gone into the team and done really well, done all they could. But as soon as I was fit, he put me straight back yeah. in. So it was just that you know. Yeah, Colin Harvey has, has came came through as number two as well, so that, that can make a difference as well because he was. I know he's a very sharp. Tactician as well, wasn't he, Colin? Yeah, they were, they were great. As Colin was more get yeah. stuck into you. Was how does the man manage you? So it was a good good balance. Mick Heaton as well. It, you know, it was a good good balance of um, of coaching and manager sort of thing. What was the training like? You've come from Liverpool, pass and move, pass and move. What was it like at the the training at Everton? Exactly the same. Pre season, uh, first day out with the ball, everything. We put the all the players, the um, apprentices. He put you in. You have teams. And you have little competitions, but it was all with the ball. There was never six mile runs or whatever. I think yeah. twelve a twelve minute run was the most we did, but everything was with the ball and that, the same as Liverpool. Mm -hmm. And that I think they were ahead of the times, Liverpool Everton, because of that. You'd Sheffield Wednesday under Howard Wilkinson, uh, Adrian Heath was good mates with Lee Chapman. He'd just say like they'd come they'd have a six seven mile run. He said like he'd, he'd, Lee Chapman would be like lying on his couch yeah. like, <laughs> shattered and she was as fresh as a daisy sort of thing. So I think, you know, that helped as well to have that, that type of um coaching and, and football to go into. How strong was the bond in that dressing room at the time? Because obviously you went on to achieve a lot, but when you first signed, could you, could you, could you see that real bond and togetherness as a team squad? Yeah, I think it it, it grew, um, and it's as strong now as it was back then. We we're all great mates. So everyone loves you know we have reunions and things like that. Everyone there was no no one had an ego. No one thought they were better than anyone else. Everyone knew we were a good team, and 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 that that helped sort of thing. So you you you. Rats was a captain, brilliant captain, but really could have been a captain. Nev could have been a yeah. captain. You just had so many players that were would say it. If it's, if you weren't doing it, they'd tell you something. Uh, they made uh, the boss's job easy. It didn't. Um, it took a while, didn't it, to come together in that because I, I, I read an old Echo report of, of leaflets being distributed at a home game, a league. I think it was a league cup game, asking for Howard to be yeah. to be sacked and, and saying he, you know he'll never achieve anything as a manager at this club and things like that. And that was only I think it was only eighteen months before the cup final yeah. in eighty four. So did you did you feel that, that you were underachieving with that team to start with, or did you always feel that it would come good? You know that that this would eventually happen. Yeah, we, when you're training with players every day, you know how good and what they're capable of doing. But we just couldn't put it together um, at that time, um, and I think. Howard, he had such a great relationship with the press. He, 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 take them in. He, you know, yeah. give them stories. He was really good to them, and I think that bought him that bit of time that he mm -hmm. needed. Whereas if he wasn't so had such a good relationship, I think he might have, he might have got, he might have gone. But with his relationship, the press weren't, weren't writing yeah. bad stuff about him. They were sort of like trying to keep support keep, him, support a, bit, him yeah. a bit, and eventually the the results came. Was it was the turning point the FA Cup? Final win in eighty three, eighty four against Watford. Was that the turning point for you? The turning point. I mean, everyone goes back Oxford. to Oxford. Oxford. Uh, but if the round before that, we were getting beat one nil by Newport. Uh, Aldo scored, and I hit shot from thirty yards. It was bobble, bobble, bobble. Just bobbled in the in the corner. That got us a draw. We beat them in the replay, and then we went to Oxford. And Adrian Heath uh, yeah. intercepted that pass from Ken Brock, who I played with at Newcastle later on. Um, and that sort of like we got the result there, mm. and then I'll start, obviously leading up to the. Um, the FA Cup final. We got to the the Littles Cup final against Liverpool, 
um, got beat in the in the replay. Uh, but then we, we were starting to get results, and we were winning semi-finals. We were getting to the finals, and obviously uh, I missed the, the FA Cup final through injury. Uh, I got ruptured my ankle ligaments mm. in the uh, the World Cup final, but we won the FA Cup, and then obviously that got us into Europe, and um, that was. But the the biggest game for me when we beat Man United five 0 at Goodison that season, um, we, we we got some decent results, but. That was they were a good side. They they were getting talked about to win the league. Strachan, Robson, Gordon McQueen, Mark Hughes. I mean, that, that Olsen. Yeah, yeah, they were they were a side that were always sort of touted as a as a potential challenge and never quite never quite materialised. But that was, was that October eighty four. Um, yeah, I think so. You just won the FA Cup and they're going into that season. Yeah, lost the so, first two games of the season. Yeah, I yeah. saw that yeah. Tottenham and West Brom. Yeah, but it was that major achievement of winning the FA Cup that that must have given the whole squad huge confidence. Then you know we we can achieve. Indeed, I think once you when you I mean that wasn't my first piece of silver, but the lads to to win a trophy, I think that gives you so much confidence that you you, you know what what now sort of thing. So obviously the momentum apart from the first two games carried into the the next season. Um, the side just gelled, and it was just the perfect balance uh, the, right the way through. Um, and obviously that game, I think after that game, I sat in the dressing room, looked around at the, the other lads, thought we've got a good team here now, we've got a chance. How upsetting was that for you to miss out on the on the cup final? Were you there? Um, I got injured in the the uh, Little Cup final. Phil Neal came over, went over the top, down my ankle, um, and the the Wednesday the replay. That's when I had my operation, and the surgeon said you're going to be out for about three, four months, sort of thing. So we, we hadn't played the semi final then, sort of thing. Okay. So I knew I knew I was, I was out of it. So, but obviously willing the lads to, to get through and win and it, it was it was fantastic so as Kevin Ratcliffe always says to me it's the one medal you haven't got sort of thing like, <laughs> but, uh, but no but, it, but it, it, that was the start of our, our success sort of thing so if we hadn't have had won the, the FA Cup we wouldn't have been in Europe we wouldn't have gone on to win the Cup Winners' Cup Were you in that dressing room when, when you won the FA Cup? No I didn't so go did it I travel? No I didn't travel I was, I, was in, okay. uh, I was in plaster I was on crutches and all that sort of thing so I just thought I'd I don't want to be hobbling around Wembley sort of thing. I'll, I'll watch it at home. Well, so heard of now, isn't it? You know the squads. Oh, it takes you, so many. You'd have a full yeah. kit on, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So I sort of mixed emotions. Obviously delighted for the players, delighted for the supporters and the club, but personally gutted. You know, you you, you watch FA Cup finals every year from mm. when you. Uh, but to miss out, I played in three after that. Uh, got beaten the three, but to actually, you don't know whether you actually get to play in one. So, uh, on one hand, yeah, played in three, got but um, great memories. But you went one better the next season by winning the first division championship, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, and that was that was my first first medal, and um, it, it was brilliant. Um, just great memories, great games, and just we were never going to get beat. And you used to look around before you went out and just thought, well, whoever we were playing, we only need to be about seventy percent today, or. 80% depending on the opposition because you just looked at Nev sort of thing like yeah. and he used to say to the defenders if he's shooting from 25 yards he said don't get in the way don't block it don't deflect he said because I'll save it he said, if, you, <laughs> if you deflect it you, you're going to do me sort of thing like so, I mean he, it's, it's generally considered that at that time sort of three four years in the 80s he was the best in the world I mean you go along, obviously go along with that that statement in terms of goalkeepers Absolutely. Um, in training, so you, you're doing finishing sessions and you had other keepers and no disrespect, you know, you put them yeah. sort of in the corner and they go in. Whereas Neville come in, 
And if he if he didn't hit it properly, he wouldn't even use his hands. He'd just like yeah. dive and yeah. Dean Saunders tells a story about that. That <laughs> yeah. he said there was one game where he had, I think he had a a, a wrist problem for Wales, mm. and he said I'll I'll play. He said well, I can't use my hands, and he said he couldn't score past him. He said him Mark Hughesy and Rush yeah. he said he couldn't. He said he was heading it away. He was he was you know his <laughs> shoulders <laughs> and all that. He, just, he worked the hardest I've ever seen anybody, and he'd stick one right in the top corner, and he'd get a he'd get a fingertip to it onto the bar, round the post or whatever. So looking back, it helped me as a Goal scorer because mm. you knew you had you had to, you had to be right in the yeah. corners with him. When you practiced your free kicks, did you make sure it was a different keeper to get your confidence? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Mims got the call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, no, but he, he was. So you knew there had to be something special to to beat every normal white sides goal in the the FA Cup. Yeah. You know, right in the corner. I mean, it was a um, that's the only ones that were going to beat him. Did you that that season? Because Liverpool were obviously the team that won it every year, or were certainly there there about every year. You you were pretty pretty well clear of them. Was the nerves at all in that in that running? You know, first time Everton had been up there for a, for a long while. Was was there a feeling of oh, you know right now now we're, we've got something to lose that season? Um, I think we, we, do we go to Tottenham and they were they were yeah they were right up there. And never made that save. Never made that from. save and we won two one. So that was that was a, like a six pointer at the top end of the table and we we handled the, the pressure yeah. comfortably there so i think we we didn't we didn't panic we we knew it was big games and we had to win them and uh, we we overcame them what was it like as a wide man having Graham sharp and andy gray up top it was just they knew me i knew them half a yard and it's coming in so they they weren't caught on the hop they knew if they could see me boom and it's coming in and andy had one of the biggest foreheads in football so <laughs> it wasn't still it was, it was easy to, to pick him out but i have to go back to adrian heath um, people ask me who's the best striker I've played with Sharpie big number nine proper centre forward but Inchi for me um, I knew him inside out where he wanted the ball so as a, as a ball's coming to me you could always play one touch whether over the top to Inchi or into him because his movement he'd, he'd, he'd check away from defenders either way short to go in or long to come back but he was just uh, and he just unfortunately got a, an injury against Sheffield Wednesday and he was at the height of his, his play and he, he'd done his cruise shirts and he missed the the rest of the season, I don't think Andy Gray would have got in the okay. form in she was, was yeah. performing. But to be fair to Andy, when he did come in, and obviously uh, him and Sharpie were uh, uh, fantastic strike force. And as I say, brave as a lion, Andy and Sharpie, anything even balls off the ground, Andy get you know dive in between the studs and all that. So um, so yeah, it was it was fantastic. You scored so many free kicks in your career. Did anyone try and get them off you? So no, <laughs> no. Peter Reid did, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, just, uh, it's, I, I practiced, I practiced, because when you've got 40,000 people cheering your name, mm. you've got to be able to, to produce. So, no one no one made the mistake of trying to take them off me now. So, is so, that, sorry, is that true? The, the Ipswich one where you took, the, one, took, the, yeah. took the one one side, and then Peter Reid said, right, it's got to be retaken. What, well, what are we going to do with it? Yeah. So, <laughs> I took it quickly against Paul Cooper because he just tried to gain advantage. He went right into his top right hand corner. And I put the ball down and really come over. He said, "What are we going to do now? Said, Get out there!" <laughs> so I know what you're going to do. And I'll put it in the other side. So fortunately, Paul Cobry just edged over because he knew I could put it in his top right, and he left a nice little gap at the bottom left. So uh, remember Leighton Baines doing that at, at West Ham a couple yeah. of seasons ago, where he he done it, and they brought up a lot of memories for Everton fans. They were talking about the the, the Kevin Sheedy uh, episodes. But yeah, both Leighton's counselors, so I think yeah. he'll say his he'll say his were better. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's just great that Leighton's got the ability to do that yeah. as well. You know, he sort of like. I did it in my time. It's always good to see uh, yeah. people perfecting it as well. I, I, I'm moving forward a few years, but is it true you you, you watched uh, Maradona practicing his free kicks uh, in Seville a yeah. few years later, and sort of in, inspirational for any anyone to see that? 
Indeed, he's just got, I mean, he's, he's my favourite player of all time sort of thing. So we were, we were playing Spain and we went to the training ground in Seville to, to, to do a session. Anyway, as we were leaving, he, he, he walked out and he just went on to a, a pitch. He, had, he was about six foot six keeper. He's the biggest keeper I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> and uh, I said to Jack, can you just watch him for a few minutes? And uh, he was just just bending him in the top corners. I mean, I used to watch him when he played for, for Napoli and they'd have people on the yeah. post and all this defenders. He just used to think yeah. him over the heads and all that. He was just, uh, so, and it showed what I always believed in. You've got to practice. You know, I say to the young lads, if you, you know, they come on Saturday, they take a free kick and they put it wide. I say, well, I don't see you practicing during mm. the week. You know, you don't, I saw David Beckham leading up to the game against Greece and the day before, there's a video of him practicing and he was like, wasn't successful all the time, but he just kept doing it. And the game itself, he, he had a few, and I think Teddy Chairman tried to get him off yeah. the one that he actually scored in, but it's like, he believed in his ability because he's done it, so. Uh, well, that, well, that's what I wanted to ask you. What, what's your mindset? You're practicing, you're practicing, day in, day out on the training pitch, but it's a different matter when it's competition, it's match day, the pressures, the crowd are there, you know, the game scenario, maybe one nil down, I don't know, one all. It's a completely different pressure, stepping up and delivering. So how was your mindset stepping up, thinking you've got the confidence to produce it? Um, I was I was confident I'd score every time um, because I practiced, I, I'd done it, I, I knew where to do it. And a lot of the time it was where the wall was, if it was slightly out or the keeper where he was, that was sort of, I'd half make my mind up and then I'd, I'd pick my spot for where I was, was going to take it. Um, so as I say, 14, I was uh, successful. I'll pick it. your spot you did. <laughs> <laughs> so win the league, what, I mean, what can you describe that for us? I mean, in terms of the feeling of winning it? And, and the celebrations have followed because I think you still had some big games to come after after winning that league. You still had two finals to come and then I think four or five league games as well. Yeah, it was a bit bizarre because you didn't really celebrate it because it was always another big game coming and then you get the Cup Winners' Cup final, then you got the FA Cup final three days later. So you were never, it was like that was just put to bed, you'd won that. So you weren't really, you were looking on the concentrate on the next one. So win the Cup Winners' Cup and then you go to the FA Cup final. Um, and then we get beaten that, so it really put a at that time it put a dampener on the on so the season. You even felt sort of unsatisfied at the end of that season, even though you'd won two trophies. You even felt a little bit down after the cup final. Definitely, definitely, because you're flat after you, you, you're losing the cup final. So yeah, you've done that. Down. So only later when you look back, and it was a fantastic season, but we didn't sort of like celebrate that as you would do if it was the only thing we'd won. Then then you celebrated. But uh, the cup winners' cup, you speak about the semi final at Goodison's. One of the the great atmospheres that you experienced against Bayern Munich. How was that? It was unbelievable. It was just leading up to the ground where you used to go down the park end round to the main reception. You, the bus couldn't get through. It was just that was like an hour and a half before the game. It was just rammed. Um, coming out for the warm up, it was just like a special atmosphere. It was like electric. Um, and actually coming out for the, the the kickoff, it was just when he hit the top step and he came out. It was just like. The best atmosphere. I played in the quarterfinal of the World Cup in Rome yeah. against Italy. Mm. Eighty thousand people, electric atmosphere, but nothing like when it's on your your home ground. Fifty-five thousand Evertonians. Goodison, Goodison night matches are pretty pretty. They have a bit of special. Yeah. Different to Derby them. atmosphere as well. Yeah, yeah, different. Um, mm. Same. It's a different. The supporters are. It's a different outlook. I think they have on the mm. game, but it's just the atmosphere. Um, and Hunes, I think, scored just before yeah. half time, yeah. and. I was on the line and he scored, um, but you just see a pin drop, it was just dead silent sort of thing. Um, and luckily I think for us we were kicking to the Gladys Street the second half something, and as everyone knows Howard's just said, they'll suck a goal, a goal in for you sort of thing, like just up the tempo a bit. And uh, it, 
we hadn't practiced long throws. Gary Seam, for some reason, just took a long throw, launched it in the box. It was a bit of a thing. I think Andy Gray got the first one. And literally five minutes later, exactly the same, another long throw. Sharpie got on the end of it. And the game turned on his head then, 2-1. Uh, so it was a frenetic uh, game because it was always going to be another goal. Mm. It was always going to be one. It was could have gone either way sort of thing. And um, I remember getting the ball in the left-back position and waiting for Andy Gray to make a run. You've got like 50,000 people shouting, man on, sort of thing. Like, <laughs> I know there is. Like, and he made... Uh, delivered it to Andy, put it on to Trevor Stephen, uh, he scored and he just brought the house down, it was just amazing, I still, still put shivers in the back of my neck now thinking about it and that was the, looking back, that was the final, they, they, were, they were a good side, they won the Bundesliga the next year mm -hmm. um, and then obviously we were strong favourites going into, into the final. Yeah, um, the, the final Rotterdam is to Everton's, Evertonians of a certain generation, Bayern Munich and Rotterdam are the two sort of uh, great nights if you like and the great, the great trips, I mean do you remember the, what do you remember about the Everton fans around the city in the build-up to that final? You know, there was, I think it was 25,000, 30,000 that went over there. Yeah, um, just again, I mean, my parents went over and the stadium, it was like a, an old stadium, it was yeah. like a wooden stand and all that sort of thing, you know, it's just, uh, I've, I've been back there and like, the new stadium now is all seats, it's a brilliant stadium, but uh, that's what the way the stadiums were in those days, but the atmosphere, um, again, coming up, leading up to the game, going to the ground and all that, and it just, just everyone, as you said, uh, supporters, they they always talk about Rotterdam and then travelling yeah. down to to London yeah. for the for the final sort of thing. Those are the great memories. But uh, the game itself, as I say, we were strong favourites, uh, winning two nil. Um, and I was always winding Kevin Rattler up hands crankles with a striker. I said we're going to have to score two or three tonight because he's going to score sort of thing. <laughs> like sure enough, <laughs> and he, does. Uh, he did to make it two one. Um, and they were still celebrating. I think they got back into the game. And from the kick off, it got played up the sharp. He laid it off to me, and uh, the keeper came rushing out, so managed to chip it over him. Mm -hmm. And the game was over then, three one sort of thing. So, um, what was that like for you? Because you you've scored a goal in the yeah. cup winners' cup final. Yeah, you know, you're, you're talking about it, you know, nicely there, but. Emotionally, what was that like for you to achieve something so huge in such a major event? It's um, look. I think looking back on it more than at the time, you're just doing doing your job, sort of thing. You know, I was I was a goal scorer, so if I got the opportunities, um, I was confident to score. So it was just it just happened too, that quickly. I'd stay back in it, down the other end, and game over, sort of thing. So um, look, I'm pleased with the finish. It was uh, technically good. So um, one of my best memories, looking back, you know, in football, sort of things. But not afterwards when you get asked for a drugs test. Yeah. Right, I think. yeah. <laughs> so you missed out on the celebration. Indeed, yeah. And nice. it only happened to me. Uh, <laughs> myself and Gary Stevens. I could understand Gary Stevens because he was a proper athlete, sort of thing. Pace wasn't my, uh, my <laughs> play thing. So we're sat in a room with two of the rapid vein and you, you can't go to the toilet yeah. straight away, as everyone knows. So we're about an hour. We're drinking water, drinking water anyway. Managed to, to produce and then go back into the dressing room. With, Expecting, you know, celebrations, and it was only Gary's tracksuit, my tracksuit, two towels, our training shoes, and that was it. Everyone else was on there, so missed out on, you know, yeah. your celebrations and that sort of thing. You'd have been so better be with the champagne. You'd have been in the toilet quicker. Indeed, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd be yeah. on, uh, you're on Instagram now with selfies and all that, wouldn't you? Oh, Sitting indeed, there yeah, yeah. Top off and all that. Like, yeah, that would yeah. be the modern so way. So no, no pictures, you know, like in the dressing yeah. room afterwards with the, with the lads with the cup and all that. So, forget uh, about that. You put the picture because you scored that goal. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get the goal scorer. Yeah. So, so. After that, I mean, I, I looked, one thing that struck me, I was doing a bit of research about your, your career, four years running, Everton won the Charity Shield, which suggests, tells you exactly how successful that team was, it was always there or thereabouts come the end of the season, and obviously the, the following season missed out. But runners up in the league, runners, runners up, up in the, the cup. cup, so it was like, that's all it was. It was and, never, and obviously never got the chance to, to go into the European Cup, which I'm, I'm guessing 
is a massive source of regret for, for all the players who played in that team and I'm sure it was for Howard as well. Um, but the 86-87, now Preno, who, who's my boss at, at the Echo, tells me and he, he will swear blind on it that that's a better, that's a better title win than 84-85 because of the troubles that the team had. It, it obviously had it been through the Gary Lineker and then it had to replace him. But it also had, you missed a lot of games through injury. I think Peter Reid missed a lot of games, Pat Van Den Howe. So, it was it was it was more reliance on on sort of squad players the second time around. Indeed, yeah. I mean, you'd like to be Marshall, Neil Adams, yeah. um, Paul Power obviously came in. And yeah, uh, it was my best season goal scorer. I, I played in the middle because Reed embraced. They they had quite a lot. Scored seventeen goals. Um, so personally, I I always wanted to play in the middle. So I think with Towers always get me on the left sort of thing. Uh, so I was able to to play in that sort of thing. So um, Alan Harper was alongside me. Uh, Paul Power, so it, it was like eighty five was like the same team more or less yeah. week in week out, and it just picked itself. Whereas this, it was probably more challenging for the for the boss as well to you know to p- pick the right players. So yeah, it, it, I can see what people. It was probably a better achievement because we didn't have probably the quality of the players that we had in eighty five. Uh, obviously, um, did you did you fear that that team would? The eighty-five team and, and, and there on. Did you fear that that team would struggle once the once the European ban came in? Did you feel that like you might start losing players or you might start seeing people go abroad and, and, and look for look for other opportunities? Because it seems natural now, but I don't know what it would be like at the time. So would you would you think that way? I think if you look back in the history now, I think after that and uh, with, with Heisel and not us not being able to compete, you know, we lost our best ever manager, yeah. uh, Trevor Stevens. Gary Stevens went to to Rangers. Rangers yeah. uh, Reedy. And then Colin took over and you know brought in a lot of good players, but they weren't as good as the players they were replacing. So Pat Nevin wasn't as good as Trevor yeah. Stephen, Tony Donald, um, Gary Stevens, Tony yeah. Cotty. You know they were good players, but um, they weren't they weren't better than what they were replacing. So um, so that was I think that that started the, the sort of decline of um, you know we we didn't reach our peak as a team. We, you know the team uh, split up. Uh, probably two or three seasons before it should should end. When Howard goes, and what's that like for you? Because he 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 must have been a, to all the players really. He must have been a sort of a friend, a mentor, and obviously a massive inspiration. When 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 you know that he's going to to Athletic Bilbao, what was that? What was that like for the, the team? Uh, just gutted. I mean, he was he was as I say the best manager I played with, and you know that was the start of of the team uh, uh, splitting up. So it just showed what a what a top manager he was, and obviously he had his reasons why yeah. why he went sort of thing. So um, so that, no, but looking back, that was a that was a poor period for for Everton. Yeah. What was he like? What was he like in terms of? Uh, he had a lot of big characters in there. What was he like in terms of the end of season or the the pre season tours and things like that? You know, everyone's got a, a great story about Howard, and you know he, he liked to enjoy himself. He liked to he liked to live life, didn't he? And he must have been must have been good company to to be around as well, not just in terms of football. Yeah, he was. He was a great man. Uh, great, great company, as you said. You know, he loved being in his company. Um, he did like to socialise. Uh, he let the lads socialise at the right times, and just you know, you you were comfortable in his company. You never like wanted to. You know, he he was uh, he was just a uh, a great man. I remember one of my uh, we played Notts County in the quarterfinal in the FA Cup, yeah. and I passed the fitness test in the morning, but I my ankles. Wasn't great, and he said well, at half time. He said, "How's your ankle, son?" I said, "Graph." I said, "If I run in straight lines, I'm okay. But if I come off at an angle, I said it's killing me." He said, "We'll just run in straight lines then." Tactical advice. No, he was um, no. As I say, said before, absolutely gutted. You know, we lost him too soon, and yeah. you know, one of Everton's greatest ever players and Everton's greatest ever manager. So he's a, a huge loss. We had a huge influence on you on you throughout your career. 
huge influence on my career in my coaching mm-hmm. is it's it's sort of all with the ball sort of thing you know so everything that i that i'm trying to do is his legacy uh, still lives on yes yeah yeah yourself. yeah and it's great uh, not so long ago he came he came to finch farm and had a had a tour around uh, yeah, so uh, great pictures with ross wasn't there i remember that yeah being yeah in the paper. yeah so um yeah he was still as passionate as an evertonian until until obviously until his, his last day he used to do his column for the for the paper and he yeah. was uh, yeah. he was still as sharp as attack as well in terms of his football yeah um so, we're going to move move away from Everton for a, for a moment, go to Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, born in Wales, your dad's dad's from Ennis, so that's why yeah. you, you qualify for Ireland. I, my my assumption, me being me being um, not doing my research to start with, was that Jack Charlton was going to be behind you playing for Ireland because that was sort of the, the received wisdom that he he got everyone who wasn't Irish to play for Ireland. But you you were you were already well committed from the mid seventies, weren't you? Sort yeah. of under eighteens. I was sort of sixteen. I was at Hereford, and um, I got a. A letter from the Irish FA to say I've been selected for their upcoming youth game. Um, so I knew Wales had a game as well. So I rang the Welsh FA and said uh, I've been selected for Ireland. Um, am I in your your squad for the game coming up? And the answer I got was, they're not. They're, we're not in the business of um, announcing the squad until it's done officially. I said, okay, thanks very much. Put the phone down. Rang the Irish FA. Said I'd be delighted to play for you. Right. So that's how my, my decision was made for me, not knowing later on down the line, sort of thing. That's. Uh, you know, yeah. playing the European Championships and the World Cup, and Wales missed out, sort of thing, which I kept finding Neville and Rats up about, <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, but no, so I played a lot of the, the under 18s, uh, 21s, um, played under Owen Hand, who was the, the manager at the time. Um, and we had some top players, Liam Brady, uh, mm-hmm. Frank Stapleton, Mark Lawrence, but they, they sort of ran the show. Uh, he wasn't a strong enough manager, and you know, the, the team didn't get the success, so it was only when Jack came in um, that the only way I can explain it was Jack's way or the highway. It was like you do it this way, or I'll get someone else in. So how different was that? Because of the experiences you're having at Everton to go away then with your national team with Ireland, how different was that? It was it was as close as it could be to your your, your uh, Everton. The players were great players. And everyone, same thing. Everyone got on really well. Um, even though they were playing for Liverpool, I was playing for Everton. You had players from Man United, Tottenham. So you had players from the, the top teams in in the in the league. Um, Tony Cascarino, Andy Townsend, great characters, uh, funny funny lads, and we had great great time being away. Um, and that that bond went on to the pitch, the same as Everton. So even now, I still go do things over in Ireland and I meet up with the lads, and we got on great, you know. So we just I was fortunate to be in the, that era for Everton, and the same with with Ireland. Interesting, because England, there's been stories of the past of that People divide away, yeah. between players going over. But yeah. it's good to hear that. Obviously, your time it was nothing like that. Not at all. No, same thing. There was no egos. No one thought they were better than anyone else. You got Paul McGrath, uh, Ken Moran, Mick McCarthy, Steve Staunton, Dennis Irwin. Uh, Chris Hutton, uh, Ray Houghton, Aldo. Yeah. So you had top players, Roddy Whelan. Mm. Uh, there was like a real tough squad, you know. So you 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 got in the team and you you had to stay in it. I know you're doing um, you're doing Sky this week. You're doing the fantasy football where you pick your best eleven. Yeah. Paul McGrath, someone who I think everyone who's ever played with him on that show has said Paul McGrath is the, the best centre back they've ever played with. Yeah. Can you tell us tell us a bit about Paul McGrath? Because I I only remember him sort of back end of his career at yeah. Aston Villa and he, he was still. A very very good player. And what was he like? Man United at Ireland. Yeah, he's in my team as centre back anyway. <laughs> <laughs> a little spoiler there. But he's, he's just one-off. 
would he have been a better player if he didn't have his bad knees? I don't know because he couldn't have been much better than, than what he was. He'd never trained, so yeah. what's he like in training? I don't know. We'd just come over, he'd stand on the side, watch his training and go. And then we'd play the game on the Wednesday and he'd be the best player on the pitch, whether it be at centre-back. We played Russia the one time and everyone was like, Phew. but he was just in second gear. He was just cruising around the pitch and he was the best player. What was his best attribute defending? Just timing, strength, strong. Could head it. Read the game well. Was quick, read the game perfectly. Uh, was always in the right positions. You never saw him get done where he was chasing back. He was always, admittedly, he was always in the game. He never got himself out of the game. Uh, when he went for a challenge, nine times out of ten, he won it. Um, just And what a great lad as well. Really uh, yeah. humble, um, great lad. So just been a top player. What was he like after the games? Because he's got sore knees, I've experienced that myself. Is he icing his knees, struggling to walk for days after games? He probably, yeah, a little bit. Um, liked to socialise a little bit as well, so I think the ice was more in the drink than on his face. But, um, but no, no, um, he just went from game to game. He'd, he'd come over, he'd get treatment off McBurn for the Irish games. Um, in the end, his physio from Aston Villa used to come over. So he, he was getting all, all the treatment he needed in between games, but he just played. Still on Ireland, I just wanted to ask you about Jack Charlton, because my dad was managed by him, as well as Sheffield Wednesday manager, and some of the stories he used to tell me about him were interesting you said it was Jack's way or the highway I asked my dad and he said one of the things that Jack used to say was space never scores goals players do have you yeah. got any, any other famous quotes from Jack back in the day what <laughs> he would say that you can say on there you can say on tape um, he was just he wanted long balls in behind that was that was the thing if, if the, the back players passed into midfield and the midfield player gave it away it wasn't the midfield player so it was the defenders fault for passing in it put it in in there, um, the quarter final, the the World Cup, I say we're playing, and uh, I got the ball on the left hand side, and Aldo shown for it. Jack always just put it in behind, and you just give him the ball away, something. So this time, I just wrapped it into Aldo's feet, and Berezi's got a toe between his legs, nicked it to Donadoni, who's on the halfway line. He runs half the pitch, shoot, shoots, Paki oh, parries yeah. it, Scalacci scores. So only goal of the game. We're coming, we're walking off at half time. Yeah. So anyway, Aldo's gone, he said, Jackson, give me a rocket here now. I said, quite right too, you should have got hold of it. Sort of thing. Anyway, <laughs> so we go in the dressing room, sure enough, That's Jack, you. bang, giving it me. And I, I'm looking over at Aldo and he's smirking. Away, <laughs> sort of thing, like, so, um, but no, he's um, off the board. We're playing um, England, mm. 1988 European Championship. So everyone thought I'd, I'd be selected on the, on the left. Anyway, Jack named the team and he, he opted for Tony Galvin. And uh, so I, I was gutted, you know, one of the biggest games you're ever going to play in. So we go into the game and I'm sat at the back with Tony Cascarino and Aldo. So we're just messing around playing cards. So Jack comes down, sits down and we, we always used to play a game called Hearts. So he named the team, I was sub. Anyway, so we're playing, so Jack's leading and Jack is tight. Okay. He's, 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 he's really tight sort of thing unbelievably tight and he used to sign the checks and he knows his thing because yeah, yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't cash them in the pubs in, yeah. in, in Ireland and he, the one time he went to call in at a motorway cafe for a, a cup of coffee and he only sold mugs for a pound he said I just want a cup and he argued with them and he said no you can only have a mug he, he walked out he wouldn't pay a pound so, <laughs> and he was playing these, these cards anyway and the, the idea is whoever's leading, you either put a heart on him or the Queen of Spades, which is worth 50 points. So I think we were playing about 10p a point. Anyway, so Jack's leading anyway, plays the cards, he puts a high card down, Alder plays a lower one, Cass plays the one. I hit him with the Queen of Spades. So he's gone, pick that up. I said, Jack, you're leading, that's the game, pick it up. I'm still fuming because I'm, I'm yeah. sub, by the way. Yeah. And in the end, he's deadly serious. He said, pick that, 
card up. I said, no, Jack, you're deleted. He said, if you don't pick that card up, you're not sub today. And he was deadly serious. And I, I don't know whether, so I, uh, <laughs> do I pick the card up or don't? So I didn't pick the card up. I'm stubborn as well. So I'm, okay. anyway, so he said, right, you're not sub. And he was like deadly serious. So we get to the game. So I don't know now whether I'm sub or not sort of thing. And it was only when the team sheet went in, Mick Byrne, the physical comes said, you're okay, you're, you're <laughs> sort of thing. It's like, in the European yeah, Championships. Yeah, <laughs> came on um, second half, but uh, he was just... I don't know. Did you pick uh, the cards up by the time uh, you came on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, again, he was ahead of his time. I think he, we did press teams in the, in their half, mm. which usually when you lost the ball internationally, everyone would get back behind the ball and then they keep the ball. We got it forward. They got the ball. We just pressed them, and we got good players. You know, we we're always yeah. going to create chances, sort of thing. So I think we caught, caught a lot of teams on the hop. Uh, Lansdowne Road, it looked good the pitch from above, but teams get the, the train the night before, and it's like down, particularly where me and Staunton played down the, the wings, there's like line outs from rugby games, there's all ruts and all things. So teams go then mentally, they, 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 they didn't fancy it to be, and then when we, we, we sprang on them and, and pressed them. What about Italian 90? You scored against England that first group game. You played a game of hearts before that game. Say, no, no cards, no cards before that one. Neil. You started that one and scored in that game. What was that like? It was great. I mean, as, as growing up, as we said at the start, you know, you watching World Cups and all that. So as a, as a professional, to, to get the opportunity to, to play in one, um, it's 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 a different level to your your domestic game. Uh, so obviously England, the first game, there was loads of pressure. Uh, Jack was feeling the pressure because obviously we, he'd won the World Cup mm. with them and all that. Um, and we went to Malta two weeks before the, the finals to acclimatise. I think it rained for about 12 days out of the 14. But funny enough, on the night of the game, it was lashing down with rain as well. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was a typical derby game. Everyone knew each other, played with each other, played against each other. So it was a real terrible um, game. Wasn't terrible it? game. It was actually. Uh, Lineker scored. Um, early on and then we just kept probing away we had a couple of half chances and then Steve McMahon had just come on as sub and he wasn't up to the speed he got the ball early he tried to play square to Gary Stevens. I've intercepted it I tried to slide Tony Cascarino in got intercepted back to me and then I just touched it and hit it and as soon as I hit it I knew it was in because you, yeah. you just thing in his bottom corner um, so you know, to score in a World Cup, Ireland's first ever ever goal. It's a piece of history that I'll always have, and just it got us a point, and eventually we, we ended up qualifying for the the last day. So we just again one of my favourite memories. I was going to say, when was the last time you bought a pint of Guinness? Then you had to put your hand in your pocket for it. You must you must, uh, you must not have to worry about that. It was it was uh, I, I did uh, have a lot of uh, <laughs> three pints of Guinness on that. No, it was just great. I mean, and you. It was only afterwards that you saw what was happening over in in Ireland. You know the, the reception we got back when we came uh, the, around Dublin, and we got to the end of O'Connell Street. And you know, again, no phones in those days, but it just it was two hundred and fifty thousand people. So it's one of my best ever memories. When you look in, you know, when you go to Dublin yeah. now, I always have that image in my mind. That's quarterfinals of the World Cup. I mean, yeah. and you, you mentioned the goal. You talked about the goal that Pat Bonner obviously must look back on. That was all that separated you from Italy, who, who the hosts were, were you know, Baggio and Baresi and all these players. You weren't that far away from being World Cup final, potentially semi-final World Cup final. Well, Jack said after the game, and he didn't really. He said, "You'll never know how close you've come to get to the final because uh, Italy played Argentina in the semi-final, yeah. and they were an aging team. They still had Maradona, but they weren't the side they were in '86, where they were yeah. a good side of Maradona. Obviously, carried him over the line." Um, and you, you you do think on that that it was it was a real tight game against it. Yeah. We had, uh, I think um, Quinny had a chance 
Um, so yeah, so you, you look back, you, nothing to fear then. Argentina and then West Germany beat them one 0 in the final. So it was, you know, I'd love to have seen Jack Charlton's game plan for uh, for stopping Maradona. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we yeah. denied that. We denied that that pleasure. Yeah. So, so obviously after the after the World Cup, your, your career at Everton sort of winding down. When did the decision come that you were you were going to move on from Everton? Because you weren't you weren't sort of. When very old, you know, you were in your thirties, but you weren't. You could have carried on, I assume, for another couple of years. Yeah, it was. It was. It was um, a sort of sad way to to end my uh, playing career at Everton. But I was one of those. I wasn't um, happy being a Seb. I wasn't happy sitting in the stands. I wasn't playing regularly. Um, I'd got a, a letter of. A, I could have a testimonial the following season. But as I've said, money isn't my god. Um, and I had the opportunity, um, got a phone call off Terry McDermott, so Kevin Keegan had taken over at Newcastle. Mm. Um, they wanted me to sign there, so um, it was it was a hard decision to make. Um, I was over playing for Ireland against Wales when I got the phone call, and it was a case of same thing, no advisor, no agents. Um, played the game and thought about it overnight, travelled up to Newcastle the next day and, and signed, and it was just one minute in Everton playing. Yeah. Um, then, uh, and it was looking back. It was a great decision. I loved my time up there. I was only there for a season and a half. We stayed up the last game of the season against Leicester, and then mm. Keegan bought Andy Cole. And that season we started. We won, won the first ten yeah. games. Um, I fell out of favour towards the end of the season, but I played enough games to, to win a champ a medal there. And just the atmosphere at St James's Park was brilliant. And again. Um, I didn't stay, you know, I wish, wish I was there longer. What was the quality of the squad like? You mentioned Andy Cole, I think Barry Venison was in there, Lee Clark, yeah. Rob Lee, yourself in there. Yeah. You know, what was the difference? You've gone from Everton to then the Championship, which Newcastle were at that time. What was the quality like then? Um, really good. Pavel Chernyshek, mm, yeah. uh, Brian Kilkine signed. Steve um, Watson would have been there, wouldn't he, coming through as well? Steve Watson. Steve Watson, yeah, and that's what, yeah. Uh, Mickey Quinn was a striker. Kevin. Yeah, Peacock was there. Dave Kelly as well. Dave Kelly, Kevin Brock, Liam O'Brien. So they were all they were like experienced, good players. And then with the young lads, Lee Clark, you mentioned Steve, Steve Watson, Steve Howie. Um, yeah. Good blend. Good blend. Well, um, what was Keegan like then in terms of because he he's got a certain reputation as not doing a lot of coaching. He's more of a man management. What well, how did you find him as a as a manager? Yeah, the same. He was he was he was a man manager. Um, Terry Mack was his assistant. Uh, Derek Fazakli was the coach. He did if there was any coaching do, getting done, Faz would do that. Um, and as I say, it was great full houses. We, we, the first season we went there, we played Tramway, and uh, we were like near the bottom, and it was ten thousand people locked out at St James's. It was, it was unbelievable. You wouldn't yeah. get that in many yeah. clubs. Um, and Passionate. then the next season, as I say, it was full houses all the way. We won the first ten games, um, and it was just the same sort of thing. Uh, you know, you're looking around the dressing room in that league, we were good players, sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it was a real, really, really enjoyed my time up there. To move it on again to Blackpool, you had a short spell there. How would you reflect on, on your time? I think looking back, the only way I can say it, it was sort of like it let me down comfortably from being playing at the top. Uh, I think some players struggle to finish at the top and then what now, sort yeah. of thing, you know, fans, you know, fine, but actual the involvement. Um, so, I've gone from Newcastle then to Blackpool, it wasn't a, a great move. Um, did the manager didn't. He thought I was there for another reason, sort of thing. Who was that manager? Pillier. Um, okay. Uh, so he didn't really play me that much, and he didn't. Uh, he was uh, a bit negative, should we say? So it, it, it's, I finished there. It was. I, I went straight into coaching. So I think it, it 
that period I was there, sort of, I didn't fall out of love with the game, but it just helped me move into the next period of my life was, was it going into coaching. Which was at Tranmere? It was the Blackburn, Blackburn? Rovers. Oh, Alan okay. Irving was the uh, academy manager Alan there. Irving, yeah. So I had a, a season and a bit there. Uh, we had the likes of young players, James Beattie, yeah. Damien Duff, Damien Johnson, David Dunn, Shay Given was in goal. <laughs> Um, what was Alan Irvine like? Because I loved him from from my career. Yeah, I, I thought he was an absolutely brilliant coach. I thought he got the best out of players. Yeah, and, and I think that's what a lot of coaches struggle to do. Mm. You would get the most out of players. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy working with him? Yeah, well, I was good mates with Alan, and um, it was a uh, it was a bit fortunate because Terry Darricott was a mate of mine. He, he went into he was he was coach there, and he went to get a knee replacement. So Alan said, "Well, Terry's going to be out of action for about six months. Do you want to come in and you know?" Uh, which was great for me and then when Terry comes back uh, that was it so Alan was really organised it was like spot on with his uh, preparation uh, methodical in what he was doing so it was a great learning curve for me just coming as a player yeah. I'd done a couple of coaching badges but it doesn't put you really into uh, so I, le- I learned a, lo- a real lot off Alan um, Terry came back but he went he got the reserve job there at Blackburn so I stayed at another six months and then John Aldridge got the job at Tramway yeah. and a good mate with old John obviously with the island and uh, he said do you want to come in as a initially as a reserve team coach so I thought yeah I'll, I'll, I'll try that and then after about six months he made me uh, first team coach so I'd five seasons there we had some great cup runs it was like a fortress mm. Dave Chandler with a long throw and all yeah, that it was just like teams didn't want to go with, come there in the cup what, what it's a little bit like Ireland I was going to say that Tramia because they were, they were very much underdogs they were very much up and at them you know they were they, had, they weren't particularly complicated tactics or anything like that was, I, yeah. Aldo took a bit of jack into his managerial career yeah it was again it was it just pressed them uh, high up, we, we we defended a real high line. Uh, got the ball in their box, long throws all all the time. We had the uh, multi balls. So I think we were the first team, so I put that in. Sam Allardyce didn't like it, did he? So I used to like, I'd have to like do the ball, so I'd have to do the six and make sure the pressure was the same. So when it went before the game, you take a team sheet in. All the other coaches or managers going, those balls aren't the same pressure, so I had to make okay. sure. So they went, they knew what was coming. So we had ball boys with towels, and it was just a case of they would just sprint and just launch it in the box, and it was just like a great weapon to have, sort of thing. So, um, so as I say, teams really feared. We got to the quarterfinal of the FA Cup yeah. two seasons. Liverpool beat us three Liverpool, two. Yeah. Newcastle was Newcastle one, beat yeah. us up there one 0 Pistone cross for Shearer. Uh, real tight games. And then we got to the the little. It was Cup final against uh, yeah. Leicester in 2004. One achievement that I mean, you look back on on that tram, yeah, where they are now. Yeah, and you look back, they were at Wembley against in the League Cup final, and we're unlucky, unlucky not to win, yeah. not to get to extra yeah. time or to win it even. Yeah, we got Clint Hill got sent off. Yeah, which is just an but but uh, still playing now. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a good, good career, Clint. Yeah, um, and again, real fond memories, real family club. Um, shame that you know where they are now, but I'm sure yeah. they'll they'll come back. Um, so great memories, you know, of the games and the atmospheres. You used to like full houses, the Tramway and Prenton Park, which which was great. So yeah, those experiences with you being involved at Tramway, did that never give you the taste to be the main man or manager yourself? I've thought about it. I'd, I stepped in, although it was getting to his health. He he, he resigned, so I, I was caretaker for a, four or five games. Um, it, it just went. Um, um, Mike Mike Newell, he got the Hartlepool job. Uh, I, I got interviewed for funnily enough and 
we didn't know each of us were getting interviewed for it and we ended up in it was in uh, Newcastle the interviews we ended up parking in a multi-store car park at the same time on the same level getting <laughs> what are you doing we just, looked at just like laughed so anyway we both got the interviews he got the job and I was over in Greece commentating on an Irish game and got the phone call to say that I hadn't got the job and then about a couple of days later I got a phone call off and he said do, do you want to come up for assistant sort of thing like so I said yeah great so we went up uh, it was halfway through the season um, we were top of the league uh, was it went to Sheffield Wednesday um, goalkeeper, I can't think of his name now. Turner? Chris Turner, yeah, he went to um, Sheffield Wednesday. So um, we were on a hiding to that thing, you know, we, they were top of the league, expected to go up. Anyway, we ended up the season, we ended up runners up, still getting promoted, but lost out on the last game of the season to Rushton Diamonds. They they beat us up, we played, it was like final at their place, we got beat 2 1. So, um, and Mike had fallen out with the chairman a little bit along the way, and there's only one winner when they fall out with the chairman. <coughs> so I got a phone call in the summer <coughs> to say that he, he rang me to say he'd been been sacked. Um, so get one of those, you just sit tight, and then they they give you a phone call. And uh, so then I more or less came back from there, and then got the, the phone call from Everton. So I've been fortunate; I've never been not yeah. not involved, sort of thing. So as I say, been here ten years. And so 2006. Yeah. Uh, is youth coaching then? Is that your is that the perfect career for you out outside the playing then in terms of that because you get to see the you get to be out on the pitch all, all the time hands on and you also get to see the, the development as well yeah I mean it's just one of those I would never say never but it would have to be something really special to to take me away from here I live locally yeah. I've always lived in Liverpool since I moved up so um, I love the area, I love the place, so it would have to be something really good to, to, to warrant me uh, moving from here. I love working with the players, you know, the real, the local lads particularly, they're really passionate yeah. and they're, real, they're, they're the ones that win you the games on the Saturday, they're the ones that, that train hard every day, so um, and you just do, you do your best for them because they, they work so hard and they're de so desperate to be, to be players. What's that biggest ingredient for a modern day player to make it, do you think? I think they've got to be tough mentally. I think a lot of players, I've seen a lot of good, talented players, but they just can't handle the pressure, um, so it's, it's it's top of near the top or top of my list. The mental, the mentality, being able to deal. You know, when you're playing in big games or playing in games, things aren't going great. They're not always going to go good. And then what have you got to, to dig into? So I think the players, if they've got really one outstanding attribute, I think that's something they can fall back on. Talk about pressures. What about distractions? In your day, there wasn't the agent, social media, all these sort of things. How hard is it to to handle that with these young players? It is. I mean, I feel sorry for the players on, on that hand is that they, they can't move. Um, you saw mentioned about what happened with Rooney. Uh, you're getting pictured everywhere, you're getting mm. photographed, you can't move, everything on, on social media. So it's a real different environment to what we, we were so fortunate that we were able to go. Uh, we could go into our local pub, socialise with the, the supporters if mm. they wanted to chat with you. Um, and that was it. But now it's, they think it's a no-go. Is, is that a big part of the guidance the club will give then for players in terms of how to... How to handle Twitter? How to handle if if you're getting asked for autographs in the streets and things like that? Is that is that part of the the guidance that the club will give? Yeah, it's part of the overall package. That, you know, you have to deal with that now. So they they have they get told you know what yeah. what's the, what the outcome of this is if you do this and you know say social media. So they they're trained in in that respect. So they they know what what what's out there. Yeah, I mean, you've talked about buzzers that you have got as player. You know, scoring a goal, or winning a trophy, or playing in a big big atmosphere. How does it compare when you see? Ross Barkley, who you've you've dealt with as a young player, or a Jack Rodwell, or a you know a player like Tom Davis, for example, more recently, when you see them playing at Goodison, playing against the best players in the Premier League, where does that buzz come from for you? You must get must get a real sense of pride. 
You do because some of the lads are in his seven and eight, you know. So yeah. you, you 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 know the faces. You, did, you haven't coached them because they're the younger ones, but you see them grow up. Yeah. And then he, Tom was playing for the 18s when he was 16. He was he's what he is now. He was athletic. He could get about the pitch. He was a good player. So I had to leave like older boys out. But you've got to give them the pathway to get through. Mm. So when you see him doing what he's done since I've yeah. been coaching him at 16, doing exactly the same but better, uh, it, it's a re- it is a real buzz. You know, this is what what you do the job for. And as I say, but even lads that don't make it here, they make yeah. carving careers. You know, I don't know if someone counted how many players that have come through us around right playing. There's, there's loads. So and you, you you still see the names. You still you yeah. know, look for them. You still want them to do well. And you hope. They, they come back up, you know, because if you view recent year, I'm not, you know, it's not one of those we made a mistake. It's at this moment in time, this is where you're at. But it's not to say that you, you know, yeah, you can't you, come back. Baines and Jags being two, it, two, two great examples indeed. of that. They were both yeah. in the same same youth team here over the yeah, couple of years. Not past. Possible, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it does happen. Mm. Um, obviously, I want to touch on, on the health the health issue that you had um, four years ago now, yeah, 2012. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and also the, the, the campaign that you, you're obviously part of to, to raise awareness for that? Yeah, it was about um, just over four years ago. I was sort of like going to the loo more often than, than I should have done and then noticing there was, uh, there was blood in my poo. And... Um, my wife commented I was costing us a fortune in loo rolls sort of thing. So unfortunately for me, there was a, an advert on the radio uh, saying about if you've got symptoms, yeah. uh, which, well, I, had, I had one of the symptoms, so um, oh, I said, you better get to the GP. So made an appointment, went, and I was so fortunate because he said, well, he sent me for blood tests, everything came back clear. And he, as I was about to go, he said, I'll send you for a camera test just to rule things out sort of thing anyway. Went to have a camera test and they detected a, a tumour. Um, but I was sitting in uh, in the waiting room, not knowing that all the other people that had the test, they one by one they were going. I was I was left in there, and then another set of people who had the test coming, and one by one they were coming out. So you start to panic. Then you mm. think this ain't right, and um, I had to ring my wife. They wouldn't give you the news until you. So I went away from my wife to come go into a room, and it just sort of said they detected a tumor. I don't know what else was said because it just mm. went over yeah, my head. So word, yeah. you you. you, you it's, it's panicky stuff. So, um, but what I did hear her say was, you know, that if you have got it, it's in a good place. So that gave me something to to hold on to. Um, I saw the the surgeon Paul Scaife the next the next day, and he, he said showed me in, in detail through it, you know, what, what it was. And he said it's in a good place, you know. So, um, so. And I didn't have the operation straight away, which was another good sign. Usually, if, if they rush yeah, you, you in, got then you've got it early enough. You've got it, got it early enough, so there's more people needed in attention. So it was about three weeks. So you sort of things play over your mind, but fortunately, I'm, I'm strong mentally. So um, it was only the night before that I had the operation. Um, Liverpool playing Dundee, and uh, I, I went into the room, room watching with some of the uh, people who have an operations the next day, Liverpool supporters and all that, and talking to them, and just the. But uh, their symptoms were far worse than, than what mine was. So I put, put myself into, uh, um, obviously feeling sorry for them, but put my situation. Yeah. Uh, so I had the operation the next day, came round from it, and uh, Paul, the surgeon, just said, you know, we've take, removed the tumour, everything else looks looks uh, looks fine. So uh, they sent some stuff off to test and all that, and I got the all clear. Uh, didn't need no chemotherapy, radiotherapy. Uh, so I, they'd caught it at an early stage, or I was fortunate. 
since then, I've, uh, I'm an ambassador for Beaten Bowel Cancer. Uh, I try and raise as much awareness mm. as I can, and uh, I've received letters and people speaking to me that, having read about me and heard me, uh, they've gone to the doctors and been successfully treated. So that's really humbling. And I said at the time, if it just saves one person, then it's worth it. That's huge. Is now I'm, I'm just listening to you. The, the, the lesson is clear, isn't it? In terms of if you have any doubts, it's better to go and see a doctor than look a bit silly if you say there's nothing wrong with you than, than not go and, and, and leave it too late. It is, and it, they've asked me to do it because obviously uh, football supporters, just, just blokes in particular, yeah. they, they've buried their head in the sand, they're reluctant. I know one of my mates, he, 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 he went too late and, and he passed away. Um, and it is the messages, uh, don't be frightened. The earlier you go, I think it's about 90%. Uh, successfully treated if you yeah. if you present early early stages so it's it's vital that don't don't put put it off go see your GP um, they're a lot better now I lost my mum she uh, she died of uh, bowel cancer she got diagnosed with irritable bowel cancer um, I did some stuff for um, Stephanie Moore Bobby Moore's yeah. wife and she said the same he got uh, diagnosed with that and uh, but obviously, it was too late for him as well. So, um, if you do if you do present with early diagnosis, uh, you you'll be successfully treated. You've overcome that tough time. How grateful are you for the way things are now? It's brilliant. It gives you a new lease of life. What used to be important before yeah. is no importance whatsoever now. Um, it's changed my my outlook. I, I was I was always upbeat anyway, but it it made me more that way because of what you know what if sort of thing so uh, I just take a, each day as a as a new day and uh, so no more worrying it. about the M62 traffic jams and all that yeah, yeah. don't worry oh, about yeah, yeah. we've covered a lot and I'm grateful for your time just wanted to finish with a few quick questions if that's all right no yeah. best player you've played with throughout your career it, Neville in goal uh, Kevin Ratliff, Peter Reid, Paul McGrath um, Adrian Heath it's a father side team. Great, right great, yeah. so what about best player you've played against? Played against was Bogomi, the right back for Italy. Oh, yeah. uh, he was typical Italian. Didn't usually I'd find a position where the, I, I, I could the, the fullback wouldn't get drawn out. He, he came with me all over the place, elbow booted, kicked everything <laughs> that you'd expect an Italian defender. So he was by far my. Uh, didn't get too much joy out of him. He was by far my most difficult opponent. Best mate from football. Best mates. Um, Kevin Ratliff, Ian Snowden, um, they're the ones that uh, keep in regular contact with. Favourite ground to visit? Villa Park was always a lucky ground for me. I love playing there. For some reason, you, you do get your lucky grounds. I scored a few goals Semi-final. there. Semi-final. I scored one in the league. Uh, we won 1-0. Um, so, yeah, so Villa Park. Who's the loudest in the changing room at half-time after the manager, the coaches have had their say? Um, Which player would always be vocal? Rats would always have a say, Nev would have a say, Reedy would have a say. It was like Rats was the captain, yeah. but if you weren't doing it, anybody would get up and they'd give it to you sort of thing, like so, uh, which is a good healthy environment. Favourite game you've watched since finishing your playing career, whether that's for Everton, Ireland, even Hereford? Watched... Um, good question. Um, There's the one game that sticks out. Probably recently with Ireland in the European Championships where uh, they beat Italy 1-0. Yeah. I think that was Bobby after a disappointing yeah. result. I went over and watched it in uh, uh, some function and uh, the, the atmosphere was brilliant. So, I mean, that was that was, that was uh, the, the most recent one. Yeah. And to finish with, your most pleasing memory from your career? Um, just to have spent nearly 10 years at, at Everton, uh, being part of its most successful team. So the whole the whole period, you know, good and bad, but just uh, being, being around and... Uh, the big games and the supporters, so 
the whole the whole package. Brilliant. I've enjoyed that. Thank you for your yeah, time. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. Thank Thank you. Pleasure. Um, thanks very much. Okay. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the big interview. Very good. Ook bewust bezig zijn met je mobiel? Dat kan al voor 11 euro per maand met mijn sim only. Nu met 100 minuten of sms'jes en 2500 MB 4G internet. Kijk op ben.nl.